This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Radio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. CDC has new recommendations for schools with the hope of making it easier for kids to get back to something closer to normal, at least. They recommend three feet of social distancing for the kids rather than six. We'll get into the change. The Oscars. They're hoping to avoid Zoom calls. People can't procrastinate forever. When it comes to the dentist, more people now getting their teeth checked up again. And stimulus money, it's hitting bank accounts, which is great news for people, but unemployment problems still linger. We start with kids in classrooms, new social distancing requirements. Dr. Nathaniel Beers, pediatrician, Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C., author of the American Academy of Pediatrics Guide on Reopening Schools. So, doctor... Three feet uh, conveniently allows the schools to reopen their classrooms. So what is the science behind this? So the science has been growing. Actually, uh, we had science that came out of Europe last spring uh, when they started to reopen that did show that they were able to effectively reopen and continue that through the fall uh, with three feet distance without increase of spread in schools. And the reason for the shift for the CDC is that has also now been supported by evidence here in the United States and Massachusetts. Uh, as well as uh, out of Florida um, and uh, Missouri uh, that suggests that three feet distance actually does not cause any meaningful increase in the spread inside the schools as well as uh, in the broader community. Uh, And so uh, we have been uh, all in the pediatric community working together with the CDC to make sure that we have the most up-to-date information, but feel like this is strongly supported by science. Um, and will, as you note, allow more schools to have more kids in person uh, for instruction, uh, which is also supported by the most recent um, uh, CDC report that came out today as well that showed that those students in virtual instruction were having a higher degrees of social emotional uh, um, uh, issues as well as their families were experiencing additional stress and anxiety uh, compared to those who were uh, in in-person instruction. So the keys to this being when it comes to kids and spread A, they spread it less and then also B, you got to keep the masks on pretty consistently. Yeah, and so the guidance is clear that it is three feet if you're using universal masking uh, with the one caveat being that communities that are having high degree of spread for middle and high school students should still be using six feet of uh, distancing, uh, even if they are using universal masking. Okay, so, and I guess that's where people start getting somewhat confused and start picking bones. Um, So if there's more transmission in the community, it stands to reason there's gonna be more transmission in the school as well, so we get the six feet apart. But if the transmission rate is really that low in the community, then really what is the difference between three and six or even one foot if there is hardly any transmission? Yeah, so the evidence around community spread has also been growing, right? And I think one of the reasons that you started to see more pressure to start to relook at these guidelines is that uh, data out of North Carolina as well as uh, Wisconsin showed that even with very high rates in the community, you didn't see spread inside of schools or schools being the cause of spread in the communities. And then the three to six feet shift, right, is based on that additional data that I mentioned previously. Now, whether it's three feet or one feet, foot, I think we, we will probably never get down to a place where we say that one foot is, is going to be good to contain spread of disease. Uh, and yet we know many schools that were much closer than three feet prior to the pandemic 
when they looked at certain seating arrangements. And so schools certainly need to rethink their seating arrangements during this pandemic and likely will continue to reimagine seating arrangements uh, that allow them to continue to have some social distancing in schools that probably actually is good for managing the common cold as well as influenza and other things that we've grown to tolerate going through schools, but we may be able to manage better if we have a little more distance between people even on a regular basis. Dr. Nathaniel Beers, pediatrician, Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C., authored the American Academy of Pediatrics Guide on School Reopenings. You won't be seeing any Oscar nominees accepting their golden statutes remotely over a Zoom call. The Academy says, nope, you show up in person on the 25th of April. They say it'll be safe. They say it'll be small. Plus, TV ratings for the show, they've been sinking. So maybe if people were on Zoom, fewer people would watch. Scott Feinberg, awards columnist at The Hollywood Reporter, host of the podcast Awards Chatter. So, Scott, are those uh, ratings or lack thereof uh, part of this plan? You know, it may be, but I think that everyone is realistic, including the Academy and ABC, that, you know, no matter what they do in this this year, I think they are in for some very low and probably record low ratings. Part of the problem is that obviously movie theaters have been closed for, for a long time and very few of these movies have generated much of an audience in theaters. They have been very accessible via streaming services, but that does not necessarily equate to the same size of an audience and these streaming services do not release their their numbers in terms of viewership. So uh, more than anything, more than the host, more than the location, more than the length of the show, we have found that Oscar ratings correlate with the popularity of the Best Picture nominees. And so when they have collectively grossed less than $15 million at the movie theaters, that's a problem. You know, I also wonder a bit, uh, Scott, if the reason the the Academy wants everybody to show up is, you know, it's in Hollywood's interest, let's face it, to get movie theaters around the country open, to get people back into them, and it would be kind of a mixed, weird message if they did that, and yet big stars decided to, you know, do Zoom to attend the Oscar ceremony. So I'm wondering how much of this is to send a message. I mean, I think that's possible, but at the same time, there are great risks to doing it in person. You know, if anything were to go wrong and this became a uh, super spreader type event, that would be the worst kind of publicity they could ever get for going back to the movies. And so what they're arguing is that this is going to be done this year at Union Station, which is unprecedented because they have, uh, you know, more space to spread people out, even if there's a smaller group of people attending, basically just the nominees, their guests, each get one guest, and then the presenters. This way they can really spread out, they can have an open air component. And they're also saying that they're going to treat it literally that, quote, we are treating the event as an active movie set with specially designed testing cadences to ensure up to the minute results, including an on-site COVID safety team with PCR testing capability, close quote. So essentially, the, the way that movies have proceeded with being made, you know, during COVID is what they are going to do uh, at the Oscars itself. I guess people will have to take rapid tests on the way in and then still spread out. And, you know, we're going to see, I mean, the Grammys were an interesting model this earlier this month where very small group, intimate celebration, outdoor component. And while the ratings were still terrible, which again, everybody kind of anticipated because of the 
the moment we're living in, it was actually a pretty polished, impressive show. Yeah, I was, you know, mentioning that the other week when we were talking about the Grammys, and then I saw some people posting as well, too, when it was outside, and they were right on the kind of, off to the side of the convention center was where they set that up. And they said, you know what, I kind of like it, because it's it's not like I'm looking for a face in a giant crowd of stars. I see a couple people at tables, I'm like, oh, there's Beyonce, oh, there's Billie Eilish. Uh, That kind of went over well. You can just see, you know, 20 people right there, like they're having dinner. And, you know, I mean, in the early days of the Oscars, um, before it grew into the kind of event that we all know, it was basically an industry banquet. It was done with dinner and, you know, dancing, literally. And uh, you would have only seen people that were intimately involved in the industry. So, you know, they can argue that it's a return to to the way things used to be. The, they will still have performance elements, though. Uh, and that's what's interesting is that it sounds like most of the attendees are going to be at Union Station, but then the, the you know the performance elements that really draw in viewers on TV, like your best original song contenders, and then any other you know opening number or anything like that, that is going to happen at the Dolby Theater where the Oscars usually is held, and that way they have you know a, a large stage with lighting and sound and all the ability to do the kind of high quality performances that they usually have on the Oscars. So um, it's a multi-venue Oscars, which we also haven't seen since the 50s. And uh, it's going to be interesting. All right. Scott Feinberg, awards columnist, Hollywood reporter. He's got that podcast, Awards Chatter. The pandemic gave people an excuse to skip their trip to the dentist, but neglecting dental health can come at a major cost. So people are going back in, getting those checkups. WBBM's Cisco Cotto talked to Dr. Zach Tilden, who owns Tilden Dental Group in Chicago. Dr. Tilden, it's good to have you with us. So are you seeing this as well, that a lot of people now are are feeling more comfortable coming back to the dentist? Oh, yeah, definitely. I can speak for our office. We've put in so many protections, and it's really kind of running smoothly now. How do you deal with a backlog of people who are wanting to come in and get these checkups? Because it's not like you can just expand your calendar so that, you know, you can deal with a rush of people who've been sure. avoiding this. Yeah, we've uh, we've had to space things out a little bit more, but uh, just by bringing in a little bit more coverage to open up more chairs, then uh, we've been able to catch up now and, and accommodate more people than a little bit usual. But there's still just more spaced out and we just had to enlist more help. So talk to people who are maybe still a little concerned about going, still don't feel safe. Uh, not not only about you already mentioned the safety precautions that you put in place, but just about the importance of actually getting there. Yeah, definitely. I'm seeing a, a few new problems now since the pandemic started and with the increased stress, they feel like the amount of grinding is happening more at night. And uh, I'm seeing more teeth cracks and broken fillings that people may not be aware of. They're also eating a little bit worse sometimes and snacking more since they're at home more often. So there's just an increase more of uh, cavities. And then the last part is because they're overdue. We're seeing that gingivitis and gum disease is actually starting when it shouldn't have normally. And that's all things that we we are able to get uh, fixed pretty quickly. So we definitely are urging people to get in now, and especially since dentists and hygienists, all the staff has been uh, in that 1A priority group for vaccination. So most of them are ready at least a month in for their for their immunity. You, you're seeing people not only eating more of the junk food, but just with that depression and anxiety, maybe not taking care of their teeth as well as they did before. Yeah, there's there's that group of people, but there's also ones that are doing everything better and eating healthier and kind of taking that other direction too. So it varies, but definitely more snacking because they're closer to the food and everything at home and a lot more coffee usage. So that's all just raising the incidence of cavities. Thanks so much. That's Dr. Zach Tilden.
Short break, and then will stimulus money jolt the economy? Bank accounts are getting larger as stimulus money is coming in. That should lead to a nice spending boom across the country. But larger economic problems from the pandemic, those remain. Unemployment numbers still on the higher side of things. Villanova School of Business professor David Fiorenza with KYW's Matt Leon. You're going to see the economy opening up. And I think it was this morning, Governor Murphy of New Jersey is now opening up more of the restaurants and the other establishments to 50%. So that means he jumped from 25 to 50. The Pennsylvania area is at 75%. So I'm hoping that that triggers a lot more people to go out because they've been receiving stimulus checks and uh, through the mail, or I should say through their bank accounts. And that should open up some of the job markets for people like to really, really hope that'll happen. Do you read anything into the fact that it went up a little bit? Or is that just kind of the, uh, the volatility of our situation uh, and it's not really anything other than the fact it's a huge number? The fact that it went up a little bit is not a, uh, something to worry about? Well, I think it went up because they didn't whoever it was last year who was in power in Congress didn't pass the bill quick enough as we spoke about back in August. So that means people who will be considered self-employed individuals, gig workers, um, did receive some first stimulus, but then they were hanging out there to dry, as we've said in the past. So now that they're getting this, those people are eligible to be able to receive the stimulus packages again, and that can help them go back out into the workplace, whether it's um, Grubhub, DoorDash, or those other kinds of things like Uber, let's say. Interesting. We've talked about the stimulus, and if anybody has any questions whether the stimulus, specifically the cash payments, let's kind of zero in on that, whether they have any effect. I don't think you have to look any further than retail sales, which basically were flat the last few months of 2020. And I mean, that's you're talking the Christmas season. The stimulus, the last stimulus of the Trump administration passes the end of December. Retail sales up like 5% in January. Stimulus wears off, down 3% in February. I mean, it kind of tells the story right there. And that being said, with some people getting thousands of dollars now going forward, it should be a big jump we're anticipating soon. Yes, Matt, I couldn't have said it any better. I'm so glad you brought this up at this time. Uh, it does. It does affect retail sales. And another thing that we don't hear a lot about is uh, the, the uh, banking industry, the mortgage industry is saying people have more equity in their homes. And I say, how do they have more equity in their homes during a pandemic? When they've received stimulus packages, you do three things. You either pay down debt, uh, you pay your you're, you, you save for the future or you buy, as we said, retail sales. And that debt is also mortgage debt, but mortgage debt is probably a good thing. So, And people took advantage of low interest rates that the Fed uh, has been doing for so long and will continue to do into next year with low interest rates. Um, looks like uh, manufacturing output was down last month, uh, a little over 2%. Uh, what do you make of that? Is that just the weather and the fact we're still in the midst of a pandemic? That's a great question to ask and leading into why we've seen manufacturer in a lull. Some of that is weather related. Some of that is being able to get the suppliers to be able to um, go out to the manufacturing plants. And I noticed that the ports uh, in some of the ports down in Miami and other places have been slow to get uh, supplies from Asia too as well. So if we look at a recession, it happens 
not just the United States, recessions are usually global. It affects everybody. So when the United States, let's say, sneezes, the rest of the world gets the flu, so to speak, of a recession flu. Not that we're in a recession, but when we see a slowdown, it's because other places are slowed down as well. But I think that's going to pick up uh, as the weather uh, starts to uh, increase in temperature. It's going to be great come April and May. We talked about the, the impact the cash payments have had on retail sales. Now that that $1.9 trillion bill is law and we're seeing the money pushed out, what are some other areas that numbers you're looking at that could really change as a result of this, this massive amount of money that was, has been pushed out? Well, the next thing to, to start talking about is going to be taxes. Um, do they start raising taxes on a certain level, let's say 400000 or more? But more so than that, uh, the Biden administration has spoken about, let's take a look at deductions, specifically tax deductions of real estate taxes and of state and local taxes and also your, your income taxes. Because the last administration, what they did was they capped it at $10,000. As you and I know, there's lots of large homes in the Northern Jersey area, New York area, uh, even areas of, of uh, along the main line that have homes of one and $2 million. And they're probably going to relax those those laws, I think, so that people can deduct their school taxes, their, their real estate taxes, as well as their county taxes and their state income taxes. They want to get that, that deduction back, I think. Asked you this last week and just want to check in about it. Uh, inflation is something we hear a lot of people talking about just with all this money being pushed out there. Uh, has the needle moved for you uh, from what you said last week? No, I think there will be a little bit of inflation. The Federal Reserve has spoken about it, but they're not they're not um, to the point where they're panicking. Look, if, if there is going to be some inflation. We're probably at about 2.2, 2.3%, which is still a lot lower than we were if we compare it to the 1979, 1980s when it was double digits. I, don't, I know the Fed does not want to go back to that uh, at all. Fed Chair Jerome Powell and all the Fed... Um, presidents from Philadelphia, Atlanta, and all the other feds, banks that we have around the country get together and they're talking about, let's keep inflation in check. Now, that means trying to keep it under 3%, which I think they will. Uh, the reason why you're seeing prices go up is because there's going to be surcharges because of the pandemic. Uh, companies are passing that on to the consumer and also the fact that there's more demand. Uh, but when you put more money into the economy, absolutely, it's going to cause some inflation. The AstraZeneca vaccine looks like it is making a comeback in Europe. Germany resumed administering the vaccine following a finding by European regulators that the shot is not associated with an increased risk of blood clots and that its benefits far outweigh any risks. The European Medicines Agency says the vaccine is safe and effective. Now, it did not definitively rule out a link to a small number of rare blood clots, and patients should be told to look out for any warning signs. But, but the agency says there's no evidence of an increased overall risk of developing clots. The move paves the way for more than a dozen European countries, which had suspended use of the shot over the past week, to begin using it again. We're on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Thank you.